I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. It's interesting in real estate, to be successful, you have to be a finder and a finisher. Anything in between that you're just a glorified usher. You're just showing people through property. Unless you can list the property or ultimately package the deal up to sell it, there's not, you're not adding much value to the transaction. This is Property Investory where we talk to successful property investors to find out more about their stories, mindset and strategies. I'm Tyrone Shump. And in this episode, we're speaking with Chris Lang, who has a reasonable pedigree in commercial property. He's an economist, evaluator, and also author of seven books on commercial property investing. We'll learn his secret property investing technique and how he managed to sell a $51 million shopping center and much, much more. Chris Lang is the CEO of commercial property Made Easy and Property Edge Australia. He tells us about what he does on any given day. I help investors purchase commercial property uh, and most of my time is spent in preparing uh, education-based material for subscribers when I'm not helping them buy property and, and that includes regular podcasts and articles, home study, training courses plus answering their number one questions about commercial property. Most of it is in preparing that material to to educate investors because I find that they need the, the background knowledge so that we can sensibly help them in, in the acquiring the property. A lot of them are making the transition from residential to commercial and uh, the reason for that basically is that commercial property provides you with a net return of somewhere between uh, five and three quarter to six and a half, maybe seven if you're lucky, uh, on your equity. Whereas residential currently, you might get a 5% gross return, but after your outgoings, it's probably more like two and a half, three if you're lucky. So, uh, as I said, the main activity is in helping people acquire, package up, find the finance for and, and look after commercial property, but the process is through the education-based training I provide. To help people get from a residential property investment to a commercial one, Lang has developed various online courses with lots of free material. He also helps people to source and buy properties. I've got uh, several courses. Um, online home study courses, but there's a, on my various websites, um, and you know, one of them is commercialpropertymadeeasy.com. 
there's a whole host of free material there. So I'm not I'm not simply looking for people to lock into a, a paid course. If they want to, that's fine. Uh, but they can dip their toe in the water and, and watch a whole lot of videos and podcasts and um, blogs and, and other material that for which there is no charge so that they can get a comfort level that they are happy to, to move to the next next stage. And as I said, it's interesting. Some people come... <laughs> Excuse me. Uh, some people come on board looking to learn all they can to do it all by themselves. But the interesting thing is that the more they learn, the more they realise that commercial property, while it's considerably more profitable than residential, it does have some complexities and they generally need someone to hold their hand. But I'll have as little or as much involvement in the purchase activity as they want. When purchasing commercial property, Lang identifies the key struggle investors face and how his online material helps potential buyers find the right property. Probably identifying the right property and most people think that they can simply go on the internet and find a property and take it from there but um, you have to be able to quickly assess a property and rate it, and uh, that's something I would do intuitively, having been in the game forty-five odd years. But I found that a lot of investors were finding that hard, just whether it should be on their shortlist or not. So, what I've developed is, a, is a, an app called um, High Return Filter. Um, and again, if you go to my website, you can download that. There's no cost for it. You get it on the App Store. And what that does is that it, it provides you with a basis to rate a property against the, the, the various um, investment objectives and your buying criteria. And, and I used to do that in a matrix on a on an Excel spreadsheet, but now, as I said, I've developed it into an app. So literally in about three or four minutes, you can either sit in front of the property or look at it on the internet or from the information memorandum the agents provide, and then you can give it a rating out of 100. And, you know, my rule of thumb is if it doesn't get 70% or better, it shouldn't get on your on your shortlist. So that's one of the tools I use. Lang shares with us his secret technique to avoid competing with other people for properties. The interesting thing is that most of my investors are what I would affectionately call wealthy amateurs. They have plenty of funds but not a great depth of knowledge in commercial property. And what I I do is I, I don't like to buy property either at auction or with an information, sorry, an expression of interest campaign because you're then competing with everybody else. And so what I've done is set up a a network of um, agents and it's generally the junior agents in the larger firms because they're the ones closest to the deals so that I get to see the properties before anybody else because what people don't understand is that 
when a property is is leased, let's say a developer has a, a strata office and the agent finds a tenant. Now, at, at the initial point, they reach what's called a heads of agreement, where it's all set out in considerable detail, but it's the commercial terms of the deal. Now, that has to be documented into a lease. And that can take today anywhere from two weeks to six weeks before it's finally documented. Now, until it is, and the lease is executed and exchanged, that agent can't go to the marketplace. So therefore, I have a window of opportunity where the agent in the contemplation of, of the relationship I've got with them is that they will, as soon as a heads of agreement is in place, shoot that to me and say, do you have a client that it might suit? Now, at, the, at every moment, I may not, but invariably, I will have someone that's looking for that type of property. And so we can reach agreement um, in that period while a lease is being documented to purchase the property subject to the lease being executed in the form of the heads of agreement. So it means that we're not competing with everybody else and you need to have to you need to think like a selling agent. Yes, the firm that they represent would like to go to auction or, or go to an expression of interest campaign with all the advertising, but as far as the junior agent is concerned, all they want to do is to sell the property, bank the money and move on to the next deal. So I guess my approach is if I can make them look good in front of their boss and their client, well, I'm going to get more opportunities um, brought to me by them to talk to my clients about. Lang tells us a little bit about his early years, including the kind of jobs he had as a teenager and what he studied at university. I used to have jobs during the Christmas holidays. I think I um, worked at a soft drink bottling factory one Christmas and a a plant nursery another and um, I can't remember what else it was but um, that was just just for two or three months over the holiday period. Well, I grew up in Melbourne, uh, attended Melbourne Grammar and then went on to study economics at Monash University for three years. Lang shares with us how he got into property investment what first planted the seed to make him want to go into real estate in 1970? It was interesting. Even though my grandfather started the real estate firm Gardner and Lang back in 1913, there was no pressure from my father, who was managing director at the time, for me to jo- join the firm. And in fact, my original desire was to become a doctor because I contracted polio when I was five and. I was blessed to recover from it. So I guess I just wanted to give back in that area. However, in my final year of school, I realised that I was going to be struggling to get into medicine. So I repeated year 12 and changed to the humanities and sort of managed to scrape into the economics course. But it wasn't until I'd finished my second year at Monash that I realised that the arena in which I helped people really didn't matter. So it was only then that I realised that um, and decided to make a a career in in real estate. In working for his father, 
Lang came up against quite a few struggles with the other staff. There are certain advantages in working for your father, but I can tell you there are a lot of disadvantages. I mean, you to to the rest of the staff to to appear average, you've got to do better than average. And once you start showing them up, they start to get annoyed. So you know, it's a two-edged sword. So you know, it was it was an interesting period. In in I mean, I'm an inquisitive person by nature. I want to find out how things work, and you know, some of the, the older members of the firm, when I say older, older in age, but older in mindset, um, who, and it was unusual at that time to have a degree in real estate. You didn't need that. You, you, you went up to um, RMIT and, uh, and got a, a diploma uh, in real estate. So, um, I still had to go and do that after I'd finished economics to get a real estate license, an evaluation license. But it, it, the the level of education wasn't that high. And so in some respects, I was seen as a bit of a threat, um, which, you know, that wasn't what I set out to, to portray. Um, I mean, I just wanted to learn as much as I could, as fast as I could, and and apparently asking questions doesn't endear you to people. Back in 1970, the real estate scene was a little different and was more about networking rather than individual and direct contact. It has changed in that back then it was very much um, who you knew um, and yes, you still have a network of people but there's less um, individual and direct contact. It, it's more structuring how to use um, the internet and um, web marketing. I mean, for example, I ask people um, how does selling real estate, whether it's residential or commercial, how does that differ? fundamentally from any other form of selling. And most people struggle with that. And I'm talking about whether it's photocopiers or cars or munitions or boats or aeroplanes. You know, it's got nothing to do with size. The the basic difference is that in real estate, you have to make two sales for every transaction. You have to make one sale to get it on the books then you have to make another sale to get it off the books. Now, if you're selling photocopiers or cars, you run out of stock, you just ring up head office and they send you some more. But you can't do that in real estate. You've got to go and make, do a deal with a vendor to get him to retain you to sell it, and then you've got to do another deal with a purchaser to, to, to get rid of it. Coming up after the break, we'll delve into what area of property Chris Lang started in. Did, did the residential stint and then came back into the city office and then got into commercial sales. How does the opposite of what others do is part of his property investing technique? I've got to go get the purchaser to retain me to then go and talk to a vendor 
through their agent to actually find the property. So I just do it in reverse. How he managed to sell a shopping centre for $51 million? Now, within two months of this new arrangement, we were appointed to handle the sale of Brandon Park Shopping Centre near Monash University. All that and more coming up after the break. I'm Tyrone Shum and you're listening to Property Investory. Instead of talking to the vendor or through the agent first, Lang's technique allows them to get to the purchaser first. I've got to go get the purchaser to retain me to then go and talk to a vendor through their agent to actually find the property. So I just do it in reverse. So I reasoned that if I could um, automate one half of the transaction, that would have to make my life easier. So, I mean, I went through the whole agency thing, but now I, I, I act as what's now known as a buyer's advocate, although when I started in 1990, I, I mean, I was doing that, but there wasn't a name for it. Um, so what I've done in, in my website is to set it up so that people can arrive there and educate themselves to the point where when they're ready, when they, they, they call me, the, the first conversation is, well, what do you do, Chris? They know what I do because they've been getting my emails and my podcasts, my blogs, you know, maybe three weeks, might be three months, could be three years for some people. So the first conversation is, I've got half a million, a million, two million to invest. What can we buy? So that's where it's probably changed. Lang started his journey in residential property before moving on to office leasing and property management and eventually ending up working for buyers to help them purchase property. Did, did the residential stint and then came back into the city office and then got into commercial sales. We had um, a CBD office and two um, residential offices. But I was initially based in the in the CBD, Melbourne CBD, and worked my way through um, office leasing, um, then into uh, property management, um, and during that time doing the odd valuation up once I got my licence. And then at, uh, probably after about 10 years, you know, I had to um, uh, then go out and get some experience in um, the residential offices. So I, I spent a, a three or four year stint over there in, in those two offices. Well, basically until the property crash in 89, um, when I realised I had to, I mean, it was plenty of properties for sale but no buyers um, so that's when I made the switch to act for buyers to uh, help them who I mean they had plenty of money but they had no they were confused the market was in disarray so I had to help them analyse and, and shift the, the good properties from the bad. Due to an overdraft belonged to his father's real estate company Lang had to come up with creative solutions and strategies to try and get rid of that debt. Had to reinvent myself. It, it, there's been a couple of times 
I remember when I was 37, it was in 1984, um, and within about 20 minutes, I found myself in managing director of Gardner and Lang. Um, and that was the, the sales agency side. And what had happened is that um, Bob Hawke had come into power and he changed the superannuation laws. And I don't think my father really listened fully to what he was saying, but literally within about an hour, I suppose it was, I found myself, we'd had a couple of meetings and um, I was now in charge of 40 people with a CBD office and two suburban residential offices. But the problem was that <clears throat> my father was a past president of the Institute and he'd been asked to um, represent the Real Estate Institute on the State Government's Committee to redraft the Estate Agents Act. Now, unfortunately, that took him away from the office for two days a week for a year. Now, you can imagine the impact that had on a company to be without their MD, the main money winner, for two days a week for a year. Now, I quickly discovered in the next few weeks after suddenly being now MD that we had an overdraft of half a million dollars and it was growing at $15,000 a month. Now, back in 1984, that was a a pretty scary state to be in. And, yeah, I had an economics degree, but what I really needed was an MBA to to really cope with the situation. And, you know, if I'd had proper training for this, I would have probably started slashing costs and laying off staff. But my initial response was uh, to look for ways to improve the revenue but to attract the necessary level of income meant that we needed to be like a, na- a national firm like CBRE, Jones Lang, Knight Frank or Colliers. And that's when I saw that Max Rain was looking to build his Sydney and Brisbane commercial network for Rain and Horn. So I approached Max on the basis of I would tip the commercial side of Gardner and Lang into Rain and Horn, but with no equity or management control. And in return, I offered to provide him with offices in Adelaide, Perth, Darwin, and Tokyo, where we had affiliations with some other agencies. So Max was able to do in six months what he thought would probably take two years to achieve. Now, within two months of this new arrangement, we were appointed to handle the sale of Brandon Park Shopping Centre near Monash University, which I managed to sell for $51 million. Now, as you can appreciate, back in '84, that was, that was a pretty big deal. Now, our fee was around $800,000. So as a result of just under four months, and one deal, we'd managed to completely wipe out our overdraft. So, you know, I, I guess the takeaway there was realising my ability to think through complex situations and just come up with a creative solution. 
Lane goes into the details of how he sold this $51 million property, from the struggles he encountered to who he finally sold it to. After I'd, I'd done the deal with Max Rain, we, we were now part of a 200 office network Australia-wide. So it meant we had the reach and capability. In other words, we, we could... The perception was we could compete with the major international firms that were, were you know, getting the bigger deals in Australia. Now, having listed the property, I left it to the sales team because, I mean, I was still I'm having to run a firm. I mean, I, I had to take myself out of the sales side of things. Anyway, they, they were holding inspections of that, but as you can imagine, there's not a lot of buyers for that sort of property. You know, it's a pocket handkerchief market. So, given the size, so they'd held inspections, and and after about a month, the vendor rightly was getting a bit annoyed that, um, and he he would only allow us to to have three buyers on the go at any one time that we could talk actively talk with, because he didn't want the property flogged around. So, I mean, it, to a degree, our hands were. A little bit tied behind her back, but we weren't. Well, the sale, the salespeople weren't getting any any traction, so I ended up having to get involved. And I had had a fellow I cultivated over the years who headed up the who was then the SEC pension fund, the State Electricity Commission pension fund. So in the end, I, I had to go to him. I spoke to him. He like the property, and within, I think, three, maybe four weeks of me going to see him, he ended up agreeing to buy the property. So it's interesting in real estate, to be successful, you have to be a finder and a finisher. Anything in between that, you're just a glorified usher. You're just showing people through property. Unless you can list the property or ultimately package the deal up to sell it. There's not, you're not adding much value to the transaction. So, inspired by his story, we'll continue the conversation with Chris Lang in a future episode of Property Investory, where we'll learn more about his strategies for investment. If you buy a property, standalone property, and it's got three levels, well, you can immediately add value by creating a, a separate strata type of roof wall. His nine-step commercial property strategy. And then we give it to the mortgage broker, who then sends it out to the two or three or four potential lenders. And the unspoken implication is don't muck us around as far as um, the commercial terms of the loan deal. As well as the daily habits that keep him on track. Another thing, um, I always carry with me a small notebook in my shirt pocket at all times, along with one of those Stadler pencils. All this and much more on a future episode of Property Investory. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. 
That's what you'll feel with Bowlin Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowlin Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlinBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.